This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project, the podcast where we talk to prominent Christians about how they came to faith and how they integrate that faith with their professional practice, uh, particularly those that have been able to enjoy a measure of success in that particular that professional practice. I'm absolutely um, personally delighted to have the chance today to talk to the Reverend Dr. Chris Mulheron. Uh, Chris is the executive director of ISCAST, an organisation that brings together Christians who are also in the area of science research and, and uh, science education. And um, with that background myself, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Uh, Dr. Malheron, Reverend Dr. Malheron uh, is an Anglican minister. He has a personal background in engineering, philosophy and theology. Before commencing with ISCAST, he filled various roles, including that of uh, locum ministers at different uh, Anglican churches. Scripture Union, 13 years as a missionary in Argentina with his family. He's the publisher of a number of books. His most recent book is Science and Christianity, Understanding the Conflict Myth, which is designed to be used by young people in schools and churches in uh, resolving what is that perceived difference. Uh, Reverend Dr. Mulharan, Chris, it's absolutely delightful to have a chance to talk with you this morning. Um, what an interesting combination of background and current experience. So uh, maybe we could start by addressing what is clearly the thing that you must get asked a lot is uh, how can you how can you live with the the apparently irreconcilable realities of science and religion and pursue them both with with passion and conviction. Well, I guess um uh, there are a number of ways of approaching that one, but I guess uh, I, I would say I'm pretty interested in in pursuing what uh, what is true, what the truth of the world is, and I'm pretty convinced that science does a pretty good job of understanding the truth of some aspects of our world. Uh, um, usually we talk about the natural world or something like that, uh, but there's so much more uh truth out there that lies beyond the bounds of science. And um, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the truth um, and, and that there is there is uh, a, a truth about uh, this world that goes beyond science, you know, and as a Christian, those, those, those truths are fairly uh, obvious. You know, God is the creator of everything. God made human beings with a purpose. Uh, God sent uh, himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son, um, but these are all things that science can't touch on. Mm. So, so um, you know, I love the stuff that science does touch on, but there's so much more that science can't touch on. Mm. And uh, as a Christian, I believe Christianity gives us, um, well, you know, it doesn't give us all the answers we'd like, and we can never be um, arrogant or or terribly dogmatic about, you know, saying I know the truth, somebody else doesn't, but we believe we know where the truth lies as Christians. Yeah. 
I'd love to come back a little later in our conversation and uh, explore that notion that you are prescribing that there is truth that is absolute and it's external and it's objective. But maybe we will roll the the um, record back a little bit. Have you always been interested in this sort of thing? It was was science a subject you enjoyed at school? Where where did it, the love for this sort yeah, of thing? I I um I did. I did the standard math science um, uh, subjects at school. I was interested in pulling my car apart and fixing it or not fixing it or whatever. Um, so, of course, the obvious thing was I went into mechanical engineering. Uh, so I, I studied mechanical engineering. I taught engineering for a little bit at RMIT here in Melbourne. Um, but I was also a Christian. Mm. Uh, and at university, I bumped into a group called the Navigators who really um, put the pressure on and said, you know, being a Christian is a pretty serious business. Uh, are you serious about it? And I guess I realised that um, calling myself a Christian, I was making uh, claims that were very, very important for, for my life, for what we mm. would call discipleship. Uh, and that it was a sort of all or nothing thing. I, either I was in with Christianity, in which case it was a whole of life commitment or not. And I guess, therefore, you know, I had the science and I, I was committed as a Christian. Um, then I started exploring the relationship between science and Christian faith. First of all, I did a master's in philosophy of science. So that's about how science works, what the limits of science are, um, those sorts of things. And then, um, I started to do some theological study and um, to cut the long story short, I finished up being ordained as an Anglican minister in the Diocese of Melbourne. But at the time I was also, uh, we were also missionaries in Argentina. So I, although I was ordained by the Diocese of Melbourne, I practiced by uh, running an Anglican church in the north of Argentina. And uh, we did 13 years over there. Then after I came back, I wanted to pursue the science and religion thing more, So, um, or the science and Christianity thing, really. So um, I did a doctorate, a, a PhD in um, a fairly technical area called philosophical hermeneutics, but um, the bottom line was it was about the nature of scientific knowledge and the nature of other sorts of knowledge, including theological knowledge, and how they, um, how they fitted together. So that's the sort of that's the sort of long story. Um, and then I came across Iscast. I mean, I'd, I'd been a bit involved in Iscast. Iscast is uh, an organisation mostly run by senior scientists from around the country. A couple of our people have won the Prime Minister's Prize for Science, um, but they're all Christians. Um, yeah. One of them, one of them invented the bionic ear. Uh, one of them you've had on your program. In fact, two of them you've had on your program, I think, two of you, two is Cast Fellows. Uh, one is Ian Harper, who's um, yes. an economist. Uh, they call, they in some circles, they call economics the dismal science. <laughs> um, so Ian Harper is one of our fellows. Uh, Luke Barnes, astrophysicist, he's also a fellow of his cast. So we, we go around doing what we can to promote a constructive conversation between science and Christian faith. And a lot of that, a lot of that recently, recently the last few years has um, at one end, it's, it's in schools. It's, you know, talking to year nines, Mm. year 10, 11s, 12s about science and faith issues. And then at the other end, we have an academic journal 
uh, mm. where academics write about the science and faith thing. And then we do all sorts of things in between. Sounds like a fascinating field to, to develop or bring two of your interests together. Um, the focus of your book, uh, Chris, is seems to be focusing on the religion, science, conflict myth, as you describe it. That's right. Many yeah. people wouldn't, wouldn't perhaps resonate or they wouldn't recognise the, the truthfulness of that title. They actually see there is conflict. So you, you describe that conflict as a myth. Can okay. Can you that um, for us? Yeah. Look, the idea that there's a fundamental conflict between Christianity and science, and, and let me just talk about Christianity because the word religion is just so broad. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about Christianity, and as a Christian, it's it's Christianity that I'm interested in mostly. So the idea that there is a conflict between Christianity and science is, firstly, it's an old idea promoted by people who didn't understand and who had their own interests, really, um, who didn't understand the nature of Christianity or the nature of science properly. So if you've got if you imagine science has certain boundaries, um, if you don't understand what those boundaries are, then you might think, as some people seem to think today, that science can answer all sorts of questions. Any question we can ask, if it if science hasn't answered it, science will in the future. Mm. Well, that's a misunderstanding based on the idea that science has no boundaries, and science does have boundaries. So back to the conflict myth. In the, in the late um, 19th century, there, there were a couple of people writing books about the conflict, and this idea got picked up by people who, who thought it sounded like a good idea. So basically they said um, there is this historical conflict between science and Christian faith. Very often they'll name Galileo. Mm. Um, the Galileo controversy is one example yeah. where um, it just is not the story that we've heard. Um, Galileo was a faithful Christian to the end of his life. Um, he was he was in uh, conflict. Yes, there was some conflict. He was in conflict with the Catholic Church at the time. In fact, according to one of the world's most significant um, eminent historians on this subject, the Catholic Church, in fact, had better science on its side at the time than, um, than Galileo did. The Catholic Church was not anti-science. But Galileo was a difficult personality. Um, he had a friend who became the Pope um, and who became an ex-friend uh, because Galileo was pretty rude about him in some of his writings. So does Galileo's story has been turned into a story about conflict between science and Christian faith. Then that's not really what it was about at all. There's more um, going on. Mm. Sorry? There was more going on. There was, there was a lot more going on and that was not what was it was mainly about. So anyway, the historical idea of a conflict, um, even, even secular historians nowadays will say quite clearly, no, that was beat up. Um, there was not this historical conflict between science and Christian faith. So that's yet, one side of the conflict. Yeah, go on. I was going to say that while that might have debunked some of the historical foundations of it, there, there is the the real contemporary perception. That's right. Yep. There is a contemporary conception, and that contemporary conception comes from two sides. 
Mm. It comes from a an atheistic science side, and mm. it also comes from uh, a Christian side where some Christians, because mm. of the way they read the Bible, mm. insist that there's a conflict between mm. some of science and Christian faith. Mm. Uh, maybe it would help if I comment on both of those yes, conflict yes, right. ideas. Yep. Okay, the, the atheistic science side, it comes from people, uh, for example, we've heard probably of the new atheists. It's a group of people who are, it's not any atheist, it's a, it's a particular group of atheists who say that basically there is no truth outside the realms of science. Yes. That, that any question you can ask, if it's got an answer, it will have a scientific answer. If not now, then in the future when science has done more, more work. So if you ask about um, religious questions, if there's a scientific answer to it, then that's fine. If there isn't, then it's a nonsensical question. Yeah. So the atheistic conflict idea says science is the only way to truth. Let me quote one one. Um, <clears throat> one of the new atheists, Dan Dennett, uh, in in an article in the news, in in an article in an interview which you can Google, he said, uh, "When it comes to facts and explanations of facts, science is the only game in town." Mm. Now that idea means that there are no answers, according to those people. It means there are no answers to questions like, "What is the meaning of life?" Mm. Is there a God? Because science can't give us those answers. Therefore, those people say there are no answers to those questions. Um, of course, there's no God because all that there is is what science can investigate. Mm. So Become those people think there's a conflict. Mm. Then there's another group of people who think there's a conflict, and that is uh, Christians who have a particular view of how we should understand certain parts of the Bible particularly the first chapters of Genesis. Mm. So if you think that the first chapters of Genesis are written to tell us scientific truth, then when you read one day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, um, then you might think, well, these must be 24-hour days. This, this part of the Bible is telling us how many days it took God to create the world. Mm. Um, if you read that part of the Bible in that scientific way, then you say, well, hold on, there's a conflict with science because science says at the moment science's best estimate is the universe is 13.7 billion years old, the earth is about 4 billion years old, etc." Mm. On the other hand, if you think that Genesis wasn't written as a scientific textbook, it was written um, it's, it's poetic, although it's not exactly poetry. Um, it was written to convey theological truths, and there are very clear theological truths in Genesis. Um, if you think that that's the type of literature that Genesis is, then you're not demanding that Genesis gives you answers to scientific questions. Mm. Therefore, that conflict goes away to some extent at least. Now, it doesn't mean that we've resolved all the problems but it does mean that there isn't this fundamental conflict between what science says about the age of the earth or how long it took to come into being uh, and, and Genesis. 
Mm. So what you're doing there, Chris, is is uh, reconciling two ways of knowing truth against an objective reality. Well, I, I, I get yes, there are different ways of knowing truth, and if we if we understand truth in the in the pre-post-modern sense, <laughs> if we understand truth as you know, you can't have two things that are true and conflicting. One of them must be right and one of them must be wrong. Then all truth is God's truth. Everything that we find out to be true is something of the way God has made the world. Yes. There is only one truth. Yes. Uh, in a, a lecture I heard you give not long ago, I think you you uh, referred to that phrase, all truth is God's truth, as, as tautological, that it's actually describing uh, truth is describing or, or defining the, the nature of God's operations, God's work, God's character, um, which is what, what you explained. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that many of the, many of the people who, who gave us the scientific revolution, in fact, most of them, um, they were Christians and they understood themselves to be uncovering the yes. wonders of God's creation. Yes. Let, let me probe with you a, a different way that some people, I think, reconcile that issue in by, uh, by making the decision that their faith is entirely personal, that it's, it's just about me and my relationship, my connection with God, um, the way I live my life, his, his um, provision for me, and that's the extent of my faith and the, the world and scientific activity and all that sort of thing can, can carry on happily in another sector or another, another sphere of, of existence operation. How, how, what brought you to the sense of actually, no, my faith has got to be bigger than that. It's, it's got to be more than just my experience, my salvation, my morality. Um, I guess you know, if we go back to the truth question, it seems to me there's a big danger of saying, you know, my faith is my faith is entirely personal. Um, very quickly, we finish up. Um, what whatever I feel or whatever I want can just be my truth, rather mm. than being open to uh, open to question, open to um, when it comes to matters of matters of faith and discipleship, open to. Uh, the church, and that's why, you know, it's a good thing. Um, I could quote Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 about, you know, it's a good thing that uh, brothers and sisters in Christ get together. Um, yeah. they, they need each other, and uh, the Christian faith is not an entirely personal faith. It's a corporate faith. God called our people. Um, yeah. We tend to be very individualistic and say, well, you know, God has called me. But actually, when he calls me, he calls me to be part of his people. Mm. And the science, scientific enterprise is exactly the same. No mm. scientist, um, you know, take climate science. Um, no scientist, no matter even if they're called a climate scientist, no scientist understands all there is to understand about climate science. What mm. they do is they say, this is my view. I'm going to publish it in this in this article, and then other climate scientists who know other things criticise the article, and they have a they have a big Barney, if you like. They have a dialogue, and out of that dialogue, if the dialogue works well, out of that dialogue comes a consensus view that mm. all the people contributing to the dialogue um, say 
for example, human beings are causing global warming. Uh, mm. That's the result of a consensus. It's not because any individual scientist can prove the case. And mm. in the Christian church, we do the same. We call it theological discussion. Um, we have creeds that have come out of that consensus. We have mm. statements of faith that we believe are thoroughly based on uh, the biblical revelation. Um, so that's an argument against saying, well, my faith is just a personal faith. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you uh, have a, a personal sense of challenge about that or did, was that the result of your studies in the philosophy of science and in theology that, that you came to understand the shared nature of the faith? Yeah, not, not, I, I guess I grew up in what, what today we would call evangelical circles mm. uh, and evangelical circles are very clear that Christianity isn't just what you want it to be or what you feel like it is or something. Christianity is constrained by biblical beliefs. And so, you know, we often talk about Bible-believing Christians or born-again Christians or something like that. And those words are trying to say the Bible has got to be uh, mm. the place that we go to find out what's true and what isn't. And if what I feel doesn't conform with the Bible, well, the Bible calls me to change. Mm. Um, so I guess that's the circles I grew up in and that's why I guess I'm committed to um, I'm committed to the idea that I might be wrong and that I need to be corrected by um, the church or the Bible or, yeah. Which is interesting. I want to come back to that notion of, of um, falsifiability yeah, a, a, a principle, but this might be an interesting little um, detour into sharing how you talked about growing up in evangelical circles. How did you come to faith? What was what your faith was? Mm. Your your experience in uh, in discovering the sure. central tenets of of Christianity as being things that you believe in. Yeah, I um, like lots of people of my time. I think I I grew up going to church. Now, that's not happening so much these days, but I grew up going to church and being, um, well, you know, being interested in the community around church. I won't, I won't say, you know, um, chasing girls or something like that, but that's always, you know, for, for many people, the sort of romantic interest is a pretty big incentive to being part of a youth group, isn't it? Um, but... Uh, also, as a sort of, I don't know, practical engineering type, I, I, again, you know, we're back to the truth thing. So I was, I believed that Christianity was the truth about the world that we lived in. Mm. And I got pushed pretty hard when I went to uni, as I said, um, to take that seriously in a discipleship sort of a way. So, yeah, eventually by about 18 or 19 years old, I would have called myself a committed Christian rather than a churchgoer. Mm. Um, and there was no revelation for me. It wasn't, it, there was no particular moment where suddenly um, I was faced with God and I went down on my knees. Um, it was a more of a gradual progression of uh, dawning on me what being a committed Christian was about and praying mm. and reading the Bible and that sort of thing. What sort of factors were going on in your life? that were encouraging you to consider this and evaluate and find answers in the truth. Yeah. yeah. Well, as I said, the navigators at Melbourne uni were 
um, a significant factor. Prior to that, I'd been involved in, I'd gone on Scripture Union camps, significant leaders at Scripture Union camps um, had, had helped me to think through my faith a bit more. You know, that was through high school. Um, mm. And I was in this church youth group that, that had lots of pretty, pretty faithful Christians. So mm. I still look to them and thank God for them. Uh, there were lots of people in the youth group that weren't um, terribly faithful Christians, but, um, you know, I'm grateful for those circumstances. Uh, so, yeah, the people around me, um, church, and then I eventually, you know, I also met somebody who became my wife who was um, um, on the same wavelength, if you like. So we have over the decades <laughs> encouraged one another. Yeah, you know? that's good. Beautiful thing to find a companion that. that yeah, uh, absolutely. With you, Chris, you you've um, dug deep into these ideas and you've you've uh, scratched below the surface to some of the fundamental claims of Christianity, the fundamental claims of science. Have you ever had to stare down doubt, questions that were really fundamental for you about? What yeah. do you really believe? Where really is truth? Um, I guess at a at a head level, as we say, at a head level, I have never doubted. Um, I haven't I haven't had serious doubts that Christianity is you know sort of wrong. Um, I've had that belief at a head level. Um, in terms of Commitment, heart level, uh, that tends to come and go a little bit, I think. Um, sometimes you go through dry seasons in your faith and um, the head level keeps on saying, well, you know, this is the truth, so you just keep going forward. At other times you're more excited about your faith and, you um, you know, sometimes you have cloud nine experiences. I guess the... Um, one of the one of the big issues, and it's probably worth saying, one of the big issues I think that a lot of people face, and a lot of people who are not Christians or ex-Christians probably point to, is what's often called the problem of evil. Mm. Um, life can be going along, and then stuff happens, as they say. Uh, for us, the biggest issue, the biggest thing that happened to us was um, about twelve years ago. Our oldest son was twenty-three years old. He came home one day with a lump on his leg and he jokingly said, uh, I might have cancer. Doctor says I might have cancer. Um, and he died five months later. Oh, my goodness, Chris. So uh, just excuse me if I tear up a little bit now. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, obviously we had, we had five sons. Um, he was our oldest. Ben was our oldest. Um, he was just finishing his science degree, he was about to do medicine, he was a committed Christian guy in, in a, a big circle of young Christian people. Um, that sort of thing stops you in your tracks. When I speak in schools, I sometimes tell that story and I, I, I tell, you know, you, you see your nine or ten students, I say some of you haven't come across the existential issues of life yet, but you will one day, and I tell that story. And invariably, you know, year nine or tens, they can be a bit rambunctious at times, a bit noisy at times. I tell that story and there's silence in the room. Yeah. Because they realise, they realise 
that there are some things in life that just stop you in your tracks. And um, we call it the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. And the question is, you know, well, if God loves us, yeah. where is God in this? Why Why should this happen? Why does this happen? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess for us that was the moment. It wasn't wasn't your studies that, that brought you face-to-face. No, no, no. Chris, what an extraordinary I was going to say test of faith, but I, I I don't know whether there is a test of faith or whether it's a, a, a falling into the the hands of the Father that that holds your faith. And my, part of my reflection was you you were talking about the existential issue that that confronts for you, and how also does it demonstrate those boundaries of science? Science can't tell us anything to help in that, you know. Science can say bends, bends now, stardust again, you know. Um, Yeah. But even even like the science had no answers, couldn't couldn't solve the problem. No. Explain what's going wrong, but but no answer. Couldn't couldn't explain the love that you felt as a dad. Couldn't explain the grief that you feel in the moment. All of that is beyond science. Yeah, it's not. And science can't. Science can't offer us a hope um, to deal with those things. I mean, it's funny. Mm. Um, as I said, Ben was a Christian. Um, his uh, his aunt asked him how he was going at one stage. He, when he was in hospital towards the end, he just used his phone to text people. Um, his aunt asked him how he was going, and you know, basically how he was going, thinking about dying. And his answer was, um, I'll be okay, but it'll be crap for everyone else. <laughs> that, is, that is such an assurance, isn't it, of, of what's what you said, talk about the meaning of life a little bit earlier and the fact yeah. that there's there's more to it than just matter and energy and force and molecules and, and atoms and all those things, a spark of of our humanity is is something more uh, transcendent than that. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, thank you for the privilege of sharing that, that little bit of insight. Uh, I, I wonder in this, in that space of, of uh, having wrestled intellectually with some of the ideas, having wrestled emotionally with the implications of, of connection and, the intangibles of our humanity. What what makes you believe that Christianity is the version of religion or mm. religious understanding that stands above any other religious version? Why, why not just theism or deism that there is this God and yes, He's created these. There, mm. There's a creator. What is it about the story of Christ and incarnation and salvation and redemption that speaks to you? Yeah. Um, let me give you let me give you two sorts of answers. Uh, first answer, uh, and let me use a scientific sort of way of putting it, or a or a legal way of putting it. I think that Christianity is the inference to the best explanation. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, there's a whole lot of stuff about the world that mm-hmm. is the raw data mm-hmm. that is, if you like, needs explaining. 
There's the natural world, but there's also the human world. And some of the things that just need explaining in the human world are, for example, human goodness and human evil. How, How do you make sense of the fact that human beings can, on the one hand, understand goodness, understand what, what a better world is like, commit themselves to a better world, commit themselves to doing good. Yes. At the same time, human beings uh, do appalling things and, and fall into appalling practices and evils. And, um, you know, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, it's not like, one human being's the baddie and the other one's the goodie. He said, yeah. you know, the line between good and evil is a line yeah. that, that goes through every human heart. Yeah. So, you know, I think that is a fundamental piece of data that needs yeah. explaining. Cool. Um, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose, our sense of awe and wonder and, in fact, desire to worship, I think yeah. those are things about human beings um, that need an explanation. I think there are things about the world that need an explanation. Why Why do we live in a fine-tuned universe? I'm sure when you, I haven't heard the interview with Luke Barnes, but I'm sure when you talked to Luke, you probably talked about the fine-tuning of the universe and the fact that this universe is extraordinarily fine-tuned, is extraordinarily unlikely. Why? Did this particular universe that gave rise to life come into existence? So mm. here's a whole lot of data mm. that needs explaining. Mm. I think Christianity is by far mm. the most explanatory theory, to keep yeah. talking scientific language, the most explanatory theory for the data. It just yeah. makes sense of the world we're in. Now, we don't like a world with evil. But Christianity makes sense of a world where awful stuff happens. Yeah. So that's one aspect of why I think Christianity um, is the worldview, if you want to put it that way, that has um, that basically has a grasp on the truth of the world. I mean, other other worldviews have a grasp on some bits and pieces, but Christianity has a grasp on so much more. The other reason that I think Christianity um, is true is because, because of something that comes out of what we now call postmodernism. Postmodernism, in, in some senses, has come to the point of saying human beings are very insignificant. We really can't know anything at all. Um, we, we know a tiny bit of anything or, you know, some people say we can't know anything at all. Your, your truth is as good as my truth. All truths are the same, stuff like this. Well, postmodernism leads us to the point of recognising that if there were a God so much more, a creator of everything, if there were this sort of God, human beings would have no chance of finding out about it on their own. Yeah. In comes Christianity, which yeah. says effectively, right, yeah, right. You could not know. I mean, the beginning of Romans sort of hints that maybe we could give thanks to a creator, but mm. nothing more. So, in other words, if human beings want to know about God, God needs to speak a language that they understand. Mm. And Christianity, of all religions, philosophies and everything, Christianity says 
God speaks. Not only does God speak, God speaks human. God speaks human by coming as Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, God has come down to us. And that is the only solution to the um, to the postmodern problem of our lack of knowledge. The only yeah. solution is if God speaks a language we understand and he comes as a human being. Well, yeah. th- there you have it. So yeah. it's Christianity or it's nothing, and nothing doesn't make sense either, so Christianity it is. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful, um, you know, really wonderful presentation of of. Uh, the explanatory power of Christianity. I think it's wonderful from a scientific perspective, somebody that appreciates the, the uh, necessary coherence of yeah. claim truth that it, it, Christianity is the best fit to the data. That's, that's really great. In, in some and then there is the personal encounter that you have with, with um, yeah. the, the living God that, yep. that affirms that uh, takes it away from mysticism but yep. gives gives it uh, a sense of genuine experience that yeah. that alone. Chris, you, you started by talking about well, not you didn't start, but earlier in our conversation, we were talking about the fact that there were there were people who didn't recognise the boundaries of science, and you made reference that that was where some of the the new atheists, Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris, and you, you mentioned another failed to, to recognise that. I, I wonder, do you feel in our postmodern world where we are now and questioning the very essence of truth, are, are we in a similar space where the notion that even the truth that science can lay claim to is open for contestability or, or science can be applied to things beyond the material and bring the the weight of a scientific explanation into things that that are not the realm of science? Yeah, I, I, I think people try to do that. Um, I think they try and do it in two ways probably. One is the new atheist way of doing things which say um, science has all the answers and any questions outside of science are meaningless questions. Um, the other way is people saying, oh, well, we all know that everything's a matter of opinion, therefore one person's opinion is as good as another. But the fact is, if you ask any serious scientist, is everything a matter of opinion, they they won't like you putting it that way. Now, that's not to say that science has all the answers and has sort of locked up all the answers in some totally provable way, but it doesn't mean it's just a matter of opinion. Mm. If, if for, for argument's sake, if 98% of the world's scientists who are involved in climate change are pretty convinced that human beings are causing global warming, then you can say, you can put that one way and say, oh, well, that's just their opinion mm. and other people have other opinions. But hold on, they're the ones that are the experts. They're the ones that are totally immersed in working out what the ocean's doing, what the atmosphere's doing, what the sun's doing, what humans are doing. Um, Their opinion counts a lot more than somebody else's opinion because there are conflicting stories and you can't, 
you, you can say that you believe the moon is made of green cheese if you like, and that's your opinion. And in a postmodern world, we sometimes say things like, well, that's true for me. But actually, there is a fact about the matter. Yeah. And, and some people's opinions about it are better than other people's opinions. Um, when I say the world is not made of green cheese, I'm saying I'm relying, I'm trusting the judgment of those people who have um, done the science about the moon and mm-hmm. told us it's not made of green cheese. Well, so I'm, I'm having it both ways here. I'm, I'm not wanting to paint science or Christianity for that matter as something that has this sort of absolute proof. All you have to do is just look here and here's absolute proof that Jesus existed or here's absolute proof that climate change is occurring. The absolute proof sort of story is is just not the way science works and it's not the way faith works. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that therefore any opinion is as good as any other opinion. There is a truth and, and some opinions are better than others. And in the law court, in the law court we say proof beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah, yeah. Sort of language, you know, that, that's, that's faith language, but it's also science language, proof yeah. beyond reasonable doubt. I no longer have good reason to doubt. So in, in our world of TikTok and Instagram and social media platforms where individuals can hold and express very influential opinions, you know, they actually, they're called influencers. Yeah. Where, where's the place of being discerning or, or finding some objectivity in, in some it's, of the claims of those social media outlets? It's very sad. It's very sad that we listen to people who have power to influence opinion, but not necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, not necessarily any um, serious, don't, we don't have any necessarily any serious reason to listen to them. Mm. Uh, when, when a Hollywood star can, can have, you know, hundreds, millions of, millions of people following them on Twitter, well, what they say Mm. is going to influence people. And if they say climate change isn't happening, people will believe it. Um, mm. But we've got to get back to the, the idea of evidence and, and considered opinion and uh, the opinion of people who, who um, ought to be listened to. Mm. And that, that involves trust. That involves uh, we, we trust some people. Who are we going to trust? Yes. Um, don't trust a Hollywood star to tell you where the climate change is occurring. Um, don't trust don't trust an atheist to tell you about whether Christianity makes sense or not, um, unless they're a serious thinking philosophical person who really want a serious search for truth sort of conversation. That's fine, but mm. not not if it's just you know. Uh, anyway, yeah. Mm. So we're back to that the. the the role of science partly was the democratizing of of truth that it was something that was shared and accessible and we, we agree by consensus because we're all we, we all see the same um interpretable data that we have but then the individualizing of that is going to the extreme um Chris, the, the organisation that you're part of, ISCAST, is involved in science education in a way. 
Yeah. Maybe I could draw our conversation to a close by you giving some reflections around the value for for every person to have some essential understanding of of how does a scientific process work? What is believable evidence? What are the boundaries of science? Mm. What's the work mm. of ISCAST in that sort of space? Or what are you hoping for through the work of ISCAST? Well, what what we hope at, at ISCAST, we're committed to the idea that there is a basic harmony between science and Christian faith. Mm. And in order to in, to in order to argue that case, not only do you have to understand Christian faith, you also have to understand a little bit about science. Mm. And those who are those who are anti-Christian or anti-religious or whatever, that science has become their ideology or worldview, and they want to push science into all the spaces of life. So it's in mm. their interests for people to, to think that science can give us answers to all the questions. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of scientists around who, who should know better, but they allow us to believe that science mm. can go anywhere. Mm. Uh, and so at ISCAST, we're pretty keen um, you know, it sounds very technical. We're pretty keen to do philosophy of science. Um, mm-hmm. At the basic level, what that means is we're pretty keen that people should know that science is about particles and not purposes mm-hmm. or that science is about mechanisms and not meanings. Yeah. And if you don't get that difference, then um, you'll be confused about science and Christianity. Yeah. I guess the example I give in schools, you know, if we go into a school, um, very often I ask them if they can provide a beaker of a beaker of water and a Bunsen burner. So, you know, the water's boiling. Um, physics teacher asks the student, why is the water boiling? The student says uh, energy of the gas turns into heat energy, makes the water molecules jiggle, the water boils, vapour comes off. Physics teacher says, pulling out a tea bag, no, actually I want a cup of tea. So why is the water boiling? Yeah, well, yeah. both reasons. One is yeah. the scientific reason and yeah. one is the reason that has to do with meanings and purposes. And Christianity, for the most part, deals with meanings and purposes. Yes. Um, and science doesn't deal with meanings and purposes and never can or will. Yeah, that's, that's really great. So even in the, the big issues of, of our, our current society, there is the need for us to interpret the science and act on the science with intention that that is governed by something more than just the science. We need a morality Absolutely. and a framework that gives us purpose. I remember, I remember I, I used to teach an introduction to climate change and we talked about climate change a bit. Um, at the end of the course in introduction to climate change, you know, all, all the students in the class, um, one of the students said, yeah, okay, um, I, I recognise that human beings are causing global warming. So what? Why should we do anything about it? Well, you know, why should we do anything about it? That is the moral question. And science can't tell us why we should do anything about it. Science can tell us the planet's burning up maybe. It's yeah. not. Um, but science can't tell us why we should do anything about it. Yeah, That's yeah. Bad, purposes, morality. Christians have really good reasons for doing something about it. Um, yeah. Um, the Reverend Dr. Chris Mulheron, thank you so much for sharing your story, for uh, letting us into uh, your personal account, your, your personal faith, and helping us understand the way in which we can engage in really meaningful, informed 
conversation around what's going on in our world, what is our world, and what our place is in it. Yeah, give us a plug for your book. Uh, well, the book is the book was written uh, because we couldn't find anything, at least here in Australia, uh, that would give people just the basics of uh, how to understand the relationship between science and faith. So Garrett Publishing have done a great job of making it a really interesting book. I provided the text, obviously, and it comes in all sorts of articles, short chapters, um, bios of scientists, and the basics of that philosophy of science. So it's being used in schools and churches as a sort of resource for um, understanding the basics. Science and Christianity, it's called. It is available on the EastCast website. It's available from Kurong, etc. Very good. Well, with that recommendation and with sincere thanks for your time this morning, the Reverend Dr. Chris Mulhurran. It's been great to talk to you, Brendan. Thanks for having me.